in Ukraine, where we find Joseph Lindsley. Let's get our daily live update now from Joseph. And are you uh, in Kiev, Joseph? I've lost track of you. You travel too much. Can't can't uh, <laughs> keep track. I need to put stick pins in a map here in the studio. <laughs> I've I've lost track a bit as well. I'm uh, speaking to you from Kharkiv. Uh, yesterday, I was in Kiev, the capital, and uh, for a couple of days, I was in Lviv. Uh, I, w- I was in Lviv just for about two days, and you know that really is the cultural capital of Ukraine. And uh, I stopped at a cafe, and you know, I, every, I'd seen so many people I hadn't seen in a couple of months, and so people were singing songs. Uh, you really you get some energy from being in Lviv. Uh, and then here in Kharkiv, uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. Uh, the all clear alarms have just sounded. We had reports of Russian aircraft over the Caspian Sea, uh, but it's been calm here. And as I reported last week, uh, you know, Kharkiv was hit brutally hard last Thursday with 15 rockets on the city. Uh, a friend here said, you know, that had not happened since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, uh, two days without electricity and without water, uh, but still better than being at zero, the, the, the zero line, the front lines. And my friend added that uh, even without light, uh, there have been a lot of people over the weekend uh, walking around. Spring is almost in full force. Uh, so there is some kind of energy here. Uh, meanwhile, in the villages and towns along the front, uh, things are not so cheery. Uh, over the weekend, video emerged of Russians pouring uh, this white, phosphor- white phosphorus bombs on the little town of Volodar, a town that has been mostly destroyed. And the name of that town means gift of coal. Uh, it was a very productive town in the Donbass. And white phosphorus, if even a little bit of it lands on you, it can burn through right to the bone and, mm. and kill you. It's, it's really awful. Uh, and meanwhile, the uh, Russians have been shelling uh, over the weekend the city of Kherson, uh, which is you know now back in Ukrainian uh, hands, but the Russians continue to shell it. And then just moments ago, I received uh, news that uh, a, a great, uh, well-beloved figure in Lviv, Dmitro Pashchuk, uh, he was 27 years old. He owned a cafe actually close to our news bunker. Uh, and he was uh, he he was killed by kamikaze drone uh, while fighting for Ukraine in the Kherson region. Uh, so people are very upset about that news in Lviv today. And over the weekend, uh, there was a major funeral of the hero who was called Da Vinci. Uh, he was also 27 years old. Uh, his real name Dimitro Kotsubailo. And uh, the the funeral was pretty extraordinary. It was at St. Michael's Monastery, uh, the Golden Dome Monastery in Kiev. Uh, that uh, is appropriate because uh, St. Michael the Archangel is a symbol of Ukraine, uh, the fighter of light against darkness. And that monastery played such a crucial role in the 2014 Revolution of Dignity, in which Da Vinci, uh, this Ukrainian here, uh, soldier, uh, was one of the leading, as a teenager, he was one of the, the leaders of those peaceful protests uh, when Ukraine decisively turned away from its uh, Russian and Soviet control. And so during this funeral, it was extraordinary images, uh, soldiers carried his body uh, in an open casket in the Maidan, in the public square. Uh, and people were singing, they were crossing themselves and kneeling. And in the singing, as people sang the national anthem and religious songs, you could hear the shakiness in people's voices. Uh, as many people said, the Maidan, the public square, was crying that day. Uh, he was the youngest battalion commander in Ukrainian history. And so top generals were kneeling uh, there in the square, including the commander-in-chief, uh, Zeluzhny, uh, got on his knees before the casket. And President Zelensky himself attended the funeral. And, you know, as a, a friend uh, in, in Kiev, who I met uh, yesterday, pointed out, you know, the Russians are sending their drug addicts and prisoners. Uh, there's a new report of uh, a train uh, of Russian female prisoners uh, being sent toward the front. 
And the Ukrainians are sending their poets and their Olympians and their heroes. And this is a very, so that's a, it's a very difficult thing as we look to, you know, the continued fighting in Bakhmut and other very, uh, very uh, serious, intense battles uh, on the front lines. Sad to hear, but so important, uh, Joseph, that you tell us about these people so they are more than just statistics. I was thinking about you last night when I was watching the Oscars. I don't know whether you heard about this at all, but uh, Navalny, that movie that explored the plot to kill the Russian anti-corruption campaigner and former presidential candidate, uh, Alexei Navalny, won for Best Documentary Feature. And it, it was quite a quite a speech afterwards. Did you hear anything about this? Uh, no, I knew it was nominated. And, you know, Navalny is uh, there's a lot of questions about him here in Ukraine. I mean, Ukrainians, of course, are deeply uh, mistrustful of anything coming from Russia. Uh, Navalny has been a critic of Putin. And then he returned to Russia uh, uh, to reportedly to face uh, Putin. Uh, but even within the complicated Russian propaganda, which goes back to Soviet times, uh, there is a controlled dissent. And and so I would say the Ukrainian attitude toward Navalny is a bit wary and skeptical, uh, as they are, I think, with with any dealings with, with people from Russia. And so uh, mm. I, I, I know it was a powerful documentary, but Ukrainians are skeptical. Interesting. Uh, I wanted to let you hear and uh, our listeners, if they missed it, uh, Yulia, what she said. Uh, this is uh, Navalny's wife last night after the announcement of that film winning the Oscar. Thank you to everybody here. My husband is in prison just for telling the truth. My husband is in prison just for defending democracy. Alexei, I am dreaming the day when you will be free and our country will be free. Stay strong, my love. Thank you. Interesting, Joseph. I, I had no idea uh, there was kind of a mixed feeling there in Ukraine about that man. Yeah, and for example, I, I don't know if she spoke about Ukraine. I mean, for example, even uh, there was a, a big UFC, you know, the, the martial arts competition, and a Georgian over the weekend defeated a Russian. Uh, and he was very gracious to the Russian and shook his hands, but then he used his time at the microphone to say, Slava Ukraini, glory to Georgia, glory to Ukraine, we must stand for freedom and oppose the war in very clear terms. And a lot of times from Russian, uh, even Russian dissidents, uh, we don't hear that clear language about what's happening here in Ukraine. Mm, yeah, I, I took her uh, speech to be in support of the people of, of, of Ukraine, but uh, it's, it's very interesting, the other side of it that you bring up. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, another, you know, this is, there, there are so many levels of complications here. For example, I'm, I'm talking with a friend in, in Kyiv, and we're, uh, you know, saying, you know, what's going on with the American support uh, coming to Ukraine? And if you look specifically at drones, uh, for example, uh, you know, Ukrainians are taking cheap drones uh, and, and doing, making them into amazing machines. In fact, uh, my friend who's an experienced uh, U.S. military veteran, says that actually the United States should be learning right now from what Ukrainians are doing uh, with drones. Uh, but, they, you know, for $2,000, they can make something that in America, a defense company would charge $20,000 for or even hmm. much more. Hmm. And so there's this uh, concern that maybe some of the U.S. defense companies do see this as a threat. <laughs> and, hmm. and so they're, they're, they, don't, they don't really want to encourage this and continue it. And in fact, the... Um, uh, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee in an article in Politico said yesterday that the administration doesn't have a clear policy and objective and a clear goal. Is it to drag this thing out 
which is precisely what Vladimir Putin wants, uh, or is it to get, and now I'm paraphrasing, or is it to get more support to Ukraine as quickly as possible? So, you know, we have these, you know, when we look at Russian dissent, when we look at the arguments in America, there's a lot of other, uh, undercurrents and a lot of other motivations that people have, uh, even when they say they do stand for Ukraine. And that's what people are feeling deeply here. Uh, you know, will, will this technology, you know, uh, will the equipment Ukrainians need arrive in time? Even if it's old, uh, Ukrainians have proven that they can adapt it uh, very well. And then one other point about those drones, uh, unfortunately, the, the cheap drones are made in China. And uh, by all accounts, the Chinese do have an ability to, uh, if they want to use them to help Russia, they can mess with the Ukrainian drones. But this is where the Ukrainian IT uh, uh, sort of tech sector is coming in and trying to uh, counteract Chinese attempts to hack these drones. Joseph Lindsley, as always, thank you for taking us behind the headlines. We will speak tomorrow. Thank you, Bob. Until tomorrow.